Welcome to Love Food Hate Money, the show where we talk about food and we prove it by spending all of our money on it. I am back with a triumphant return as uh, host Jonah. This is going to be co-host Courtney. Hey. And that was the sound of me thinking I was just about to get a lot of bubbles in my lap. <laughs> we are celebrating. Celebrating. I'm finally a real introductory member of the Court of Master Sommeliers America. Woohoo! America's. America's. I mean, we knew you could do it. That's true. It was more of just a procrastination thing than anything. Just dragged your feet. I like dragging. For four months, at least. I mean, I. To be fair, oh, that's not. I shouldn't pour the bubbles on the laptop. Um, <laughs> yeah, you. This is why I'm only introductory because I can't even aim inside the glass. Uh, no, yeah, I have had access to that class for a while now, but it was really a matter of just doing some buttoning up and figuring out uh, how to get over test anxiety because it's been a while since I had taken any tests. But for bubbly this evening, we are drinking a Cremant de Borgogna uh, 2019 from Moyard. Uh, producer out of Burgundy, so Cremant de Bourgogne, uh, the Cremant label means that it's made in France with the champagne method, but not actually in champagne, so it can't be labeled champagne. Well, it's delicious. That's good. What do you taste? It's sweet, and it's sparkly. It's sweet. Uh, it's Should bright. Should be anything but sweet. It's, I mean, it's, hmm. I guess sweet's not the right word. It's got a nice, strong fruit characteristic. Yeah. That's what I mean. Fruit Got is good. sweet. That's some sweet fruit. <laughs> Apples and a little bit yeasty. I like it a lot. If anyone is looking to um, get champagne for not champagne prices from decent producers, you can always look for the Cremant labeling from French wine because it means it's made with mm, the historically more revered method. It's a little bit more difficult to make wines with the traditional method than Charmat or any of the other ways that you can make bubbly. Which brings us to the, well, first of all, are there any bullets that you need to put up on the head of the show? (laughs) Any crummy commercials on our end? Any crummy commercials? No, we're just working on, we're trying to move. (laughs) Yeah, lots of. Once, guys, once we move, maybe. Maybe things will stop Once being move, so hard. Things will be different, <laughs> but the same because you know that's what being an adult is. Things are different, just, but the same. You know how like when things are always just a little more complicated than they need to be. That's twenty twenty three for us. I mean, there's a lot of change going on, but I feel like it's been a pretty successful year. With me passing level one, hopefully I'll get level two this year. Yeah, you're gonna take it in June or else. Or else what? You don't want to know. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> That's a threat in a promise. Uh, my favorite type of pie. <laughs> did you get a, a nice... chance to listen to last week's episode? I did listen to last week's episode. It only made me cry a little bit. <laughs> Why did you cry? Oh, because it's it's just sad to think about all of the different change. Like, it's just a lot of... It's overwhelming to think about how much has happened. Yeah. Uh... With your health and then by proxy, like, our relationship through that time. Like, it don't make that face at me. Jesus. <laughs> what does it mean? 
I mean, we met in culinary school. We were going to have a restaurant, and I was going to have a restaurant, and then just... <laughs> we were all going to have guys. We thought we were Oprah <laughs> restaurant. You get a restaurant. You, you get, get a, a restaurant. restaurant. I was going to be a Food Network face, and you were going to move to a place and can get a star. A star. The biggest star in New York City. <laughs> um, but the most devious bastard most devious in bastard. New York City. <laughs> Everyone, this is just actually a what we do in the shadows podcast now. That would be a better podcast. It would be very good. <laughs> <laughs> very pro Matt Berry. But yeah, seeing how far we've come, how much acceptance we've had, yeah. how much we've overcome together. Uh, and how much you've overcome with a lot of the uh, self-worth tied into everything that you did, and then realizing that you're more than the sum of your actions. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, so, uh, you know, emotional, because I've been there for... The whole part, (laughs) the uh, whole story. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Not really part of you being, like, the highlight reel of culinary school other than you being an ass-kisser, but... Yeah, well... Get a lot of a lot of stars and a brown nose. It's what it takes to be number one. I'll do it. That that's <laughs> to be a woman in this industry <laughs> to climb the ladders. <laughs> I was uh, on the phone with my mom today, and she goes, "Were you like crying when you were recording that? Because your voice got really like you're like I'm not crying. You're gravelly towards the end, and I was like, "Dang it, mom." <laughs> You're like, no, you that, caught was, me. that was actually the gravel I was gargling, mother. Yeah, no, I thought that was so funny. I was like, yeah. I think a lot of people could tell that you're sort of choking back to Yeah, I was definitely choking up. It's just, it's a lot to say. And also, I was crying because talking to yourself for 25 minutes straight, no breaks. It's just an average Tuesday here <laughs> in the Gifford house. Uh, no, it was good. And I, I want to thank everyone who's... Um, reached out over the last week and just kind of commiserated with me because I think there's so many of us that have very similar experiences or stories. Um, A lot of people don't end up where they thought where they were going. Yeah, and it's so interesting, (laughs) too, because, like, a couple people specifically, it was very much the same. Like, the restaurant industry was, like, that end-all, be-all. So That's all you had, and then it all went away. And then what did you have after that? Figuring that out, and I just think it's so interesting how all-consuming it is. And I'd be curious to talk to people in other industries to find out if it's, like, culturally specific to restaurants or if that is, like, every industry has its, like, this is my life. Yeah, that, I mean, that would be interesting. I think that a lot of the other industries, utter, the other industries, <laughs> when you're dealing with cows, you know, <laughs> um, I feel like work-life balance builds itself into a lot of other industries a bit more. Sure. And I can't speak to that too much. The only person that I can think, I can think of two people right now outside of the industry. One is industry adjacent anyway, because he works at a pizza spot with his part-time. Good old (laughs) Cartina Queen of Chandler. Um, And then (laughs) the other one is uh, not edits the podcast, John, but other John. Oh, yeah. And his work-life balance was miserable. Because his he was a programmer that would just wake up on the couch, start programming, do something else, <laughs> fall asleep on the couch for thirty minutes, go back to it, and that was outside looking, and that was just his life. Yeah, and I don't know if he's remedied that at all. I think he's gotten better about it, but it did definitely seem like that is 
is his life was very consuming. Do we think that like the grind though, and then the like emotional, relational, all consumingness that is like working in restaurants is like the same thing though? It's a. I think that it, the key is grinding. I don't think it matters what you're grinding on if you're if your mentality toward work is is grinding, then you're gonna mentally cause a little friction. Yeah, true. We'll have to we'll have to survey the people. Yep, the poll's up now, everyone. <laughs> I don't know where it's at, but it's up. So, uh, <laughs> what are we supposed to be talking about today? Uh, today we're going to talk about wine. Um, now that I'm introductory, no. Um, <laughs> now that he's no, certified to talk about this topic. No, not certified. Certified's next level. But you've wanted to talk about this for a while. You've wanted me to sort of spearhead this. Um, and just talking about wine in general and how to learn about wine. And I probably should have given myself a bullet point outline on this, but we're just going to How fly. to learn about wine from a guy learning about wine. Yeah. Chapter one. Chapter one. How um, to pick a good bottle of wine at the grocery store. Will you find a label with dogs on it? That is your go-to. <laughs> you look for the labels. Um, don't ever buy wine by the label. <laughs> What if you read the label? If you read the label, if you're buying it because there's a pretty picture on the label, (laughs) you're probably... No, you just said blanket statement. Being deceived. If if you pick it by the label. Buy bottles of wine only without labels is really what I'm getting at here. (laughs) That's when you found treasure because you weren't supposed to get that wine, so it's got to be good. special. It's not for you. That makes it taste better. (laughs) But I think when learning about wine, um, I think the main thing that scares a lot of people is I think there's two parts about it that are fairly intimidating. I think that the language behind it is intimidating because if you listen to a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of people, people will be introduced to the world of wine by watching a documentary like Psalm be like, Oh, let's just watch this. And then you see them blinding these wines and meaning like this wine has a, uh, this wine is a crystal clear clarity, a moderate intensity at the at the core. It fades toward the meniscus. You've got uh, gradients of ruby here. This wine is clean. This what like all that stuff doesn't mean anything to anyone. And if you see a master rattle that shit off over back to back, like that doesn't that's so unapproachable. Um, so learning little bits of the language that's used is Mm. probably the most helpful. Okay. Um, And the other thing is just being more intentional. Wine leads itself to uh, stopping and almost meditating on it as you're drinking it instead of just working it down, Um, (laughs) which is a viable option. You know, Remy and his brother, they each had their own lives and they enjoyed their lives their own way. Um, But if you're going to start being able to talk about wine and learn about wine you actually have to sit and think about it as you're drinking it instead of just wine tastes good that's nice or ooh, wine tastes bad it's a much more (laughs) thoughtful process than just that i think that's where i struggle and even when i tasted this wine when we started and just said oh it's sweet is having the language of understanding what the difference between the sweet wine is versus what a fruit characteristic is right so when talking about a lot of people have that issue when they're talking about a wine sweetness level in general, because almost all wines that you're drinking are 
produced to dry. Right. Within the global standards of um, milliliters of sugar per, or what is it? Milligrams of sugar per liter is an overarching. There's a couple different countries. Every country has a different metric for that on how they, what measurement equals dry wine, what measurement equals off dry, etc. It's like this wine is brute 2018. That word brute, that just means dry. This wine is produced a dryness per the Burgundy standard of uh, grams of sugar per liter. I think it's grams of sugar per liter. Or is that milligrams of sugar per liter? Either way. So learning about the fruit characteristics is helpful. Um, the deductive tasting grids that the quartermaster sommeliers use is really helpful. And flavor reels are really helpful for getting started. Um, I think the best beginner, if you're just going to look at any really easy to digest, ingest material for wine, if you're doing just reading, is going to be Wine Follies resources. Mm-hmm. Um, Madeline Pouquet it was, had a background as a graphic designer before she started doing wine, and so she made it much more Pretty. appealing. It's a lot prettier. It's a really appealing. Her color wheel uh, that they have on their website is super helpful. You can buy them for fairly cheap or not color wheel, the flavor wheel. Um, so having that as a reference point when you're actually sitting and starting to think about what wine tastes like and also thinking about what the things around you taste and smell like. It's a very Mm. meditative experience. Use all of your senses to kind of get to, to really appreciate wine you this is i think everything i'm gonna say i'm gonna probably stop trying to clarify everything that i say i'm just gonna (laughs) throw on a blanket asterisk of there's no absolutes and that's another thing that's super important when talking about um something as subjective as, as wine preference um when you're talking about tasting wines and like blind tasting wines there's a lot of objectivity on certain things um the acid level in a wine is fairly objective because that really there's a you can measure the pH of a wine that's going to have now well, how you perceive that pH will be a <laughs> unique experience to you. Um, but when you're talking about acidity and other um, structural components of wine, it's very, very objective. Um, but there's there's a lot to talk about. But the language, I think, is, again, probably the most intimidating yeah. thing. And then after that, it's being thoughtful about actually drinking the wine and if if you do want to learn about it i think um the language thing that scares a lot of people is people i mean gosh i remember when i started in the industry and hearing people talk about wines being flabby i was like what's what's what does a flabby (laughs) drink mean that doesn't um so learning as much of the language as palatable is helpful and then actually learning what you like about wine and then going from there or if you don't like wine Figuring out what you don't like about it. Do you not like wine because it doesn't taste sweet? They make sweet wine. It's a real <laughs> thing. It's harder to come by because it's not as popular. Um, historically, without using added sugar, it's also harder to get wine that has a good balance and residual sugar. So back to basics. You're going to the grocery store. Like if you're just getting into wine, like how do you pick a decent bottle. I would say probably don't go to a grocery store. And it's not that you can't get good wine from grocery stores, but they will have a lot of, if they do have a good wine, it's usually going to be a little bit more expensive than it should be. Mm. And or 
just an upper. It's going to be from a bigger producer. And there's not, it's not quite as thoughtful. The boutique individual like wineries and things like that, the wine growers tend to be more involved in different processes or even the winemaker will be involved with the actual wine growing, grape growing and the winemaking. It's usually tighter when you're talking about boutique wine or smaller wineries. Um, So if you're talking about a decent quality, large production like Duckhorn, like Duckhorn makes good Merlot. It makes Merlot that it will show typicity. I've I've tasted Duckhorn in my um, blind tastings before. Like it's not that it's bad. It's just that it's a larger house and you're going to pay somewhat of a premium for it. And there's better value that will still show typicity elsewhere usually. Um, so then where do you go? I would say go to any of your local wine stores uh, and be friendly with the people there and just go in. Just bl- I would say go in and say, I don't really know anything about wine, but I want to learn about it. And usually if you're working in that environment, you're equipped to help. Yeah. I won't say that that's always the case, but I go to wine stores often. Or they're at least able to help a little bit with what they know. Um, I work at a wine store. <laughs> if anyone comes in and they don't know, usually I've got a few good leading questions to try and get where they're going. Um, what are those questions? A lot of stuff has to do with do they drink wine already? Because oh. um, that is a good starting point because if they say (laughs) i've never really had any wine like okay so you're gonna try to get something that is just generally approachable um and then you decide if they want red wine or white wine and if they're gonna be eating it with anything or drinking it with anything (laughs) i guess are they Um, gonna eat the wine or drink the wine it's very chewy that's a word that gets used a lot in wine industry and that's not necessarily the most intuitive with the with it being chewy that's talking about texturally. Usually it's wine with like higher tannin, but the tannin structure is kind of velvety on the palate instead of just like fully um, getting wood stuck in your mouth. Okay, that makes sense. You're not just like eating the cork and it's chewy? Yeah, no. I mean, you can do that too. It's probably pretty chewy, (laughs) especially the synthetic ones. Okay, so then once you figure out red or white... And if they've had wine or if they drink wine. Usually try to figure out what they like about wine. Um, They like red wine, but they're like, I had Zinfandel once. You can either help them try to affirm that they do like Zinfandel and and show that to them. Or (laughs) take what you know about that grape and translate it to other things. Or human brain's kind of squishy. So if you... If they have a, a notion and you're able to kind of expound on that or guide them to a different direction, they're usually more open to it. If they're going into it with, you know, empty stomach and an open mind, Ali Cuisine. (laughs) Um, Then you can point them in the right direction. Well, and I would imagine, too, from your point of view and helping people pick wine, if they are going to have it with food, that's a big deciding factor. Yeah, wine with food is classically how it's consumed. Um, Because drinking a bunch of wine by itself is a real good way to get drunk. Um, In case you didn't didn't know. know, (laughs) It does hit harder than your average beer. I think that's another thing that's funny about wine versus... I think it's funny. Growing up, 
wine was a woman's drink, beer was a man's drink. Like, yeah, what's the deal with that? Not a clue. Uh, what's the deal with wine moms? I think it's a U.S. thing because every other country in the world, like, people are getting wine regularly, well, especially men. Like, it's, I feel like. <laughs> especially men. I, it's like a, I, I picture Spain. Like, they make big, bold wines. Uh, lots of wines with finesse, too, but like. Big burly man wines. I love those wines. With big fluffy beards. <laughs> and they, it's more, it's, I, I feel like in the United States there was a, we, at least for me growing up. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember it. this because I feel like there was a lot of like crappy home decor that was also very centered around like. The Raid done. It's wine o'clock. Mommy needs her wine somewhere. <laughs> and all <laughs> Mommy needs her wine somewhere is actually going to be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good ser- that's a good phrase to get crossed. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, it's got a weird, I don't know, and, and it might just be the way that I was raised in a pretty conservative Christian household, which is funny because again, historically, <laughs> historically, if you're talking about the only reason we have wine in the United States to this day is because of, well, it's not the only reason, but again, blanket asterisks on this whole thing where that's not absolutes, but wine industry, the only part of it that was allowed to even exist during Prohibition was church-owned wineries that were making wine for sacrament. I think we should do a deep dive on the connection between alcohol and... Um, the church? The church. Because mm. you were just telling me the other day about um, the monks, yeah, the chartreuse monk said we gotta <laughs> go back to our religious studies instead of. They're like, look, we understand more chartreuse. you love this, but we're gonna stop making it as much because we gotta go pray. So yeah, collect your chartreuse while you can, because the monks are gonna go get closer to God. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's such a hard thing to talk about, even as someone who's trying to educate people, because there's a lot of resources. So to s- stay focused in on the things to learn about wine. Wine Folly, I think, is the great, is the ultimate visually appealing beginner's place to go. Um, if you want to get serious about it, you could consider some of the educational programs that exist, either Quartermaster Sommelier's America, or if you're not from America, CMS just in general. Um, and then the WSET program, so the Wine and Spirits Education Trust um, is another good uh, program. I opted for the CMS route because... Uh, it hel- it deals with more of the service element. So it's helpful for people that are working on the floor um, of a restaurant with wine, more so than like the W set, because they are focused more broadly on the industry and beverage as a whole. So why are you pursuing SOM? Like what, what do you feel like you're going to get out of it? Um helps education wise uh, knowing what you're talking about it's it's nice to have a $500 bottle of Australian Shiraz and to understand why that bottle costs $500 be able to sort of tell the story behind it Um, and that goes for anything like it's really uh, helpful from a sales point of view to actually be knowledgeable on the products that you're selling if you talk to anyone about anything if you talk to a car guy and he doesn't know anything that's happening in the car, like doesn't give you the most confidence in purchasing that car from them. So um, bolstering my knowledge to help instill confidence in other people that I actually know what I'm talking about. 
Nice. I think that's it's so interesting because I think before I understood what you were studying and doing, I think growing up I had this perception that sommeliers were just like big wine nerds and like were super that's unapproachable. That too. Well, but it's the unapproachability part that I think is like it's still an issue that part. the industry has to deal with because a lot of people that talk about wine don't talk about things that are relevant to people. And I'm not, that's again, not a hundred percent, but if you talk to a, a wine, wine person, they're like, oh man, I really do love me some right bank Bordeaux. Cause I like, I love the way that the clay imparts the flavor and the grapes and stuff. Like it, they, you start talking about dirt, no one cares. <laughs> I I feel like coffee people get like that too. Yeah, I moderately care and I really don't care about soil composition. Like I have to learn that stuff to earn my stripes and get my pins. But it is it is dry reading to think about, okay, the Mosul region has blue slate soil, except for these two sites that have red slate soil. Like it's it's stuff that's specific as that that is not this is why wine is hard for people. So learning the language and what you like about wine and actually being thoughtful while you drink it are two great jumping in points. Even if it's, I had this Pinot Noir once and I liked it. Okay. What did you like about the Pinot Noir? Did you like that it was lighter in body? Did you like that it was moderate in acid? Like, do you like the way it made your mouth water? Do you like the way it tastes? What did it taste like? (laughs) Um, which is all fairly subjective, but there's certain, um, well, do you Families understand? Families and rules of thumb that if you stop and think about it, it really helps. Like red wine, there's three major fruit categories. There's red, black, and blue. If you're drinking Pinot Noir, usually they live in the red fruit category families. So you're talking about strawberries and raspberries and red cherries and a little bit of black fruit in there, black cherries and you know, fig falls in that category. Uh, cassis, usually used for Cabernet Sauvignon, but in general, that's part of that fruit family. Blue fruit is literally basically just blueberries. I think there's maybe one other that gets, I think, acai technically, but that's real. That's not a common mm, smell or flavor to get out of wine. Um, So, like, breaking red wine down like that really helps to sort of, if you're wanting to learn about it, break down the wines and those fruits and be like, and again, you can find a lot of this stuff. Um, Like, it's an open resource, the... um, Court of Master Sommelier's like deductive tasting grids. There's a lot of hoopla on it, but <laughs> in general, learning how professionals do it in a sort of guided format, because it's very much just if this, then this, and if th- does it does it taste like this? Yes or no? Like it's very black white on whether or not this is a characteristic of the wine. Um, and for white wines, you're talking about. Um, Stone fruits, so peaches and apricots and things of that nature. Tree fruits, which will be like apples and pears. Citrus, which runs the gamut between the the main four. Uh, I say the main four because the usually if you're tasting a wine and you're like, oh, it's yuzu, that's you can narrow that down to like, okay, it's lemon and it has floral characteristics to it. So, lemon, lime, grapefruit, orange, all part of the citrus families that you could get out of a white wine. And then tropical, so star fruit and pineapple and lychee. So those are the four fruit families that you deal with with white wine. Um, and then everything else sort of goes from there. Um, it's hard because there's, there's a lot to well, We're not going to get it all in one episode. No. But I would think uh, using Wine Folly, if you really want to approach it from a professional standpoint, you can buy different books. I think Wine Folly is probably, in general, the most 
approachable. Well, I think you've mentioned before, too, that the wine information that comes out is so constantly changing that the books become outdated pretty quickly. Yeah. It's hard for book resources to keep up, so I won't say that the internet's the best way to do it, to learn about it, but it's really helpful. And an example of that is one of the, um, every, like any learning, there's different editions and volumes of textbooks. Um, so Atlas of the World, or the World Atlas of Wine right now, I think it released its eighth edition within the last two or so years. Um, wine changes dramatically from year to year, even like wine laws. Um, so having something that only updates every couple years or so might not have the most accurate or detailed information of what is currently happening. Um, so the internet's a wonderful resource. Uh, and I think having, having someone to talk about it with is super helpful. Um, so, you know, if you're not comfortable trying to describe a wine, getting someone that around that is like, Oh no, like this is, this is roughly what this should taste like. And this is, and it's, it's helpful to have, not blind tastings as, as a focal point if you're really starting to learn about wine. So use a website or a resource or even your friendly local wine shop uh, employee. Be like, okay, I want to try this Pinot Noir. They're like, this is a good Pinot Noir for you. Have a list of tasting notes of like classically, this is what Pinot Noir should taste like and use that as a cross-reference to see if you kind of get what it's talking about. So a lot of the stuff is hard. A lot of the language around wine is real... It's not approachable unless you actually like sit with the wine and, and think about it. And it goes back to sort of being thoughtful. You have to have the the language in your memory bank built up enough to talk about what you're having. And then you need to be patient enough to actually be like, oh, this is what this tastes like in reference to wine. Because the amount of people that just start drinking wine, they're like, it tastes like wine. Yes, that's true. Uh, it me. So that's, I would say basics 101 try to pick up little bits of the language learn major fruit families um and then just sort of be thoughtful with it if you truly want to learn that's another thing too i've had so many interactions with guests that are like oh i like wine that is you know i like a nice dry wine can you give me a white zinfandel whoa like that's not a even uh, that's that's always considered sweet. I don't, and also, you're not gonna get that at most restaurants because that's super mass-produced stuff. But like, you can sort of meet the person where In they're the at, and sort of <laughs> help guide them along the path. Um, yeah, learning what you actually like about wines and be thoughtful with anything that you're consuming. Especially, I mean, it takes so much work to produce any bottle of wine. Like you're getting a bottle of wine for twenty dollars. Like the amount of work that went into farming that grape over the course of a year and then making it and all that like it's a pretty thoughtful process so treating it with that amount of thought can be fun it's very meditative and as always just drink what you like drink what you like how you like it because that's all that's the path of least resistance gotta go consume all of this bubbly now because that that can't sit that would be a, a shame oh too bad too bad thank you for listening to love food hate money this podcast is edited by john watkins of feathered fiction studios he also does our original music you can find us on social media at love food hate money or email us hello at love food hate money.com 
And send Jonah your hate mail. It gives me strength. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. I made a mess. <laughs>